As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, JJB not in the house replaced by the much lovelier Kayla Campbell. Legacy Games, on tap. Where we played recently, Terra Mystic in Space, and other stuff. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. <sighs> this is Android's Dungeon, a show about books, movies, games, music. Books? I've never heard you talk about books. We've talked about books once or twice. Oh, okay. Definitely a little rarer, rarer, <laughs> rural, rural juror. Uh, you can check us out on CFRU.ca or you can find us on every podcast website out there, I think. In the whole world? Yeah, sure. Okay. All the good ones, at least. Not the right. stinky ones. The ones with the, the smelly waves that kids <laughs> would draw if something smells bad. Nah, uh-uh, not that one. Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Kayla. Kayla, what have you been playing recently? We've been playing a lot of exciting things lately. Uh, two of the most recent games we've been playing is The Gaia Project, mm-hmm. which is a Terra Mystica game. Yeah. And we've also been playing Charterstone. All right, so let's let's focus on Gaia Project right now because I, I think for Charterstone we can get into a broader discussion of sort of legacy games and um, what we like about them, what we dislike about them, and maybe our favorites that we've played because we've got a bit of a we're veterans of the legacy games at this Very point. Very much so. Uh, tell tell people about Gaia Project because I mentioned it briefly on the show last week with okay. Joel because I put it down. We only played it once, yes. and I put it down as one of the best games we played in 2018, just in the sense of. Um, playing it felt like it was very tight and mm-hmm. it felt like this is a good game. But what do you tell us about Gaia Project? Okay, so first off, I have to say that when Jack walked into the house with Gaia Project or opened the box that Gaia Project came in, he said, We're going to get really good at this game. <laughs> I really want us to get really good at this good, game. Yeah. And I didn't really get it. I just said, Sure, that's fine. I like games about terraforming space i like terraforming mars but this is definitely not terraforming mars it's not as heavy on the actual terraforming there is terraforming involved but it's uh somewhere between terraforming mars and terra mystica yeah that's fine (laughs) a lot of terras in here there's a lot of terra i'm not sure so gaia project is um super cool i don't really know exactly (coughs) Where to start? There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of pieces, a lot of little boards, your player board, the kind of a progress board, and then the actual space. It's very daunting. It's definitely a game that if you... (laughs) I like to describe the sort of games that would terrify people who don't, who are, Mm -hmm. let's say, a little new to the hobby. And if you put stuff like that out, and I I think I'm, I'm, I would go down a limb and say I'm different enough that... Like, you put stuff like this out and it looks complicated. I get excited because it's like, oh, boy, lots of things to keep track of. That sounds fun. But I always default to my parents and thinking, like, if I was to set something like this up for my family, 
it would melt brains and people would be checking out before they've the game's even the first pieces on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's good to work up to this type of game, especially like... Things... Don't drop this on newbies. Don't. No, no, no. I think any game that has a ton of pieces, you have to kind of know your audience. Like if you threw um, Feast for Odin at someone who... That would explode a brain. They would just be like, holy crap, I can't do this. This is just too much to keep track of. But anyways, back to Guy Project. There are lots of pieces on the go, um, but it was really good. Um, I don't... <clears throat> I don't know what what kind of game is it, Jack? It's a it's a mix between it's an engine builder slash yep that's fair um sort of a, a root building machine mm-hmm. where you're you're grabbing resources but you're trying to optimize what your faction or your race is good at yeah and each what's cool about this is that there's about uh, I think there are about six or seven player boards available mm-hmm. they're double sided so I think there's 14 races you could be playing right and I it scales so. up to four players and maybe five players at I once I think it's four um, yeah. which would be crazy sure. and the I don't want to go too far off here but um, you're basically each faction or each race does something better than everyone else or does something special and you want to look at what this faction does and you want to play to your strengths just like in any other game that has sort of uh, variable abilities you don't want to be playing against it you want to like this is your bonus you should be doing whatever this is as much as you can so um, in our cases we played as the Xenos and uh, something like the Hawkons or I'm getting that mixed up in Twilight Imperium they're bird people and so my race, the, our thing was that we generated these these cubes that were, um, I, I forget the name of them, but they were basically like the, the green magic the green, cubes. No, they were called like, oh, I don't remember what they're called. They I were cute the, though. Yeah, they were neat. And uh, so they let you do extra things. Like you can, you can spend them for tons of bonuses and you can use them to go further than your normal movements would allow. But basically that's what our race, my race did was that you were able to generate these way easier than everyone else. So you should be, you look at that and you say, okay, well, if I'm generating these, I should be playing to the bonuses or the strengths of what these cubes do. And I should be playing on getting as many of these as possible and getting bonuses on them. Whereas Kayla's race was very good at, I'm trying to remember now. So am I. I didn't super play to that strength. I just was kind of trying to explore. And you made a lot game. of money. You made I think cash it was like money. crazy. I had tons and tons of money. I because, was very rich. So the, we're running away here again, but I don't want to get bogged down too many of the details. But it's this optimi- or optimization game because you have on your board, and this is something I really like, is that you have all these little pieces, and every time you remove a piece, your bonuses get better. So it means when you've removed a piece, you've put it on the board, mm-hmm. and that means that you're getting more bonuses. So right. But your bonuses can change because you can upgrade. A building yeah. that's on a planet on the board and you essentially get rid of that bonus and swap it for a different bonus. Exactly. And that's where this optimization thing comes mm-hmm. from is because you have all these low-level buildings, which are the mining. You dump them on. The first building you can only always put on a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they give you more ore. And there are a couple of main resources in the game. You've got money, ore, knowledge. And I think there was, or maybe there are just the three there. And you need ore and money to build stuff. So that's very mm-hmm. important. But you need knowledge to access the tech tree to get... To uh, go up in the develop... Like the area, there's six areas that you can develop yourself in. Yeah. And to, to go up in those areas, you need... Not, or you can use knowledge to go up in those areas. Yeah. And that can be really beneficial because <clears throat> it makes other actions cheaper for you. Yeah, you're, you're again, going back to this whole optimization thing. Yeah. It's that so you can spend your knowledge to get better on technology mm-hmm. tracks. So you, you're making your race better at doing certain things. So again, it goes back to playing to your race's strength. So if you're really good at this thing, 
maybe you want to like that's your that's your path so you want to strengthen this to the max so that, that you're doing this like crazy but you don't want to neglect other things so but like kayla was saying there so you have all these mining stations and you're making ore off them but okay great you need to upgrade these places to access other things so you upgrade it but now your mining station's back on your player mat and you're no longer getting the mining bonus so now your ore production is down but maybe you're making more money this turn you say okay great now I want to upgrade that building again. So you may have been making some money that turn, but now you've swapped it for a different building. And now you're getting that wicked bonus from that building, but now you're not getting ore or money anymore. And you need to start spreading out. So it's all about building. And I think the worry for me is that it could get very mathy very quickly if you were, mm-hmm. you're playing this very analytically where it's like, well, I need six ore by turn seven for this particular move. And then I need this knowledge for that move. And it could just be, if you're really good at that, great. But... I hate when you just math things out relentlessly. And to me, it turns into more of a uh, art. Do you have pen and paper handy and you can just map it out? But there is some conflict in that you're colonizing planets and each planet on this modular board has a different color on it. And each race is more or less uh, acclimatized to certain planets. So you need to terraform them to your race's sort of type of planet. So Kayla's race may be, let's say, she starts on a red planet um, that's her her base, and she can always colonize there for free or terraform for there for free. But she's a blue planet takes three terraforming actions, and those are very expensive. They sure are. Or you they go can get to, cheaper though. You can make them cheaper on the technology track, and you can also <clears throat> excuse me. You can also go for a planet that's not as up there, but uh, so you could go to like a yellow planet, which is cheaper to colonize than something else. So you end up in this race of. Kayla's looking for planets that are cheap to colonize for her. I'm looking for planets cheap to colonize for me, depending on how close we are with each other. And then there's other planets, which are green planets, which are already sort of terraformed, but you need to spend a green cube to uh, sort of like, I don't know, it's like paying the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. to allow you to actually use it. And then there are the purple planets, which... You have to dump The Gaia projects. Gaia thing. Gaia formers, yeah. Yeah. So this is extremely overwhelming, and I don't know how well it's translating for a radio listener here, but... There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. But it's not overwhelming in the no. sense like, yes, it was a bit of an upfront reading the rules situation. And I did refer back to the rules quite a bit. Yeah. It's our first game. That's super normal. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, it was a really good game. And we re- I'd say by turn three, because the game's over quickly. I think there's only yeah, six there's rounds. There's six rounds. So by, ter- by round three we were flying through and we were just maybe doing some like very specific sort of checks in the manual about like what maybe the procedure, like when does this thing happen? When does this Mm -hmm. not happen? But by turn three, it was just, we were flying. And what's cool is that there's no, uh, uh, your turn uh, can last, like you got, you and your opponents can play, keep going back and forth, back and forth until someone passes. And once you pass, you're out. But it's up to you to decide how much you feel like investing in that turn. So oftentimes, maybe you'll have more things you can do with your resources you have there, but it's not worth it. Or maybe you want to save up for a round for something. The The sheer amount of options are, are kind of, I don't want to say staggering, but like Kayla was saying, very front-loaded, which I think is a scary thing for for us when we're setting up, because I'm getting nervous, because how many times have I been in the position where you're setting up a game, and it's like, oh my god, I've been here for an hour setting this up, and I'm getting worried, <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, this, this is this going to be worth it? And usually it is, I have to say. Usually but, it is, yes. But it's just one of these things where it's that, it, it's a very uh, inorganic experience when it's like, you, you don't even know what you're looking at, you're setting up all these boards, 
and you're just reading through a manual because that's the type of game it is. It isn't one of these things where it's like, okay, learn, you can do this and then come back to the manual after you get to the next step. It's like you need to read everything or else you have no clue what you're doing uh, for your turn. Otherwise, you can just flounder. It's like, okay, I'll just do this. And then you, by turn two, you're like, oh, no, why did I do that? that that's a horrible decision. And then you don't have fun. But um, anyway, overall thoughts on Guide Project, aside from you liked it, Kayla. It's, uh, would you... Would you be rushing to play it again? What's your what's your overall take on it? I think it's a really good game. I don't remember really what I thought about Terramisco. We've actually only played it the once, and it was a couple of years I ago. I remember so. what I thought about it. It was not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't remember having fond memories of Terramisco. I feel like I have a lot of fond memories of Guy Project, and I would certainly play it again. I'd rather do it sooner than rather than later, yeah. especially so that we can get really good at it. Yeah, exactly. Like, really good at the it. The plan. Yeah, the plan. Uh, I would definitely play it again soon. I thought it was really good. And now that we know the rules, I think it's a lot easier to get yeah. going. Yeah. It probably did take us about an hour to set up and read the rules and get going. Yeah. And, and But even once we got going, I think it only took us an hour to play the game. Yeah. It's super, super fast. I'd be interested to see how it plays with more people. Yeah. I think it worked at two players quite well, mm -hmm. which I always appreciate in a game. And so I think I'd, I'd like to see it with other players, but I'm happy to keep playing it with And there's you. also, you can play it solo too, which is interesting. And you're seeing more and more of the uh, yeah. automata rules that are, they came with Scythe and Chargestone yeah. and uh, these Stone Mare games that are, people are really fond of. But yeah. Weirdly, I don't, that doesn't really appeal to me. Like, no, I, no, no, no. I get it. Like, I understand why you'd want to do that. But the whole reason that I play board games is because I can play with other people. <sighs> if I want to play a solo game, I'll find something like, on my phone or I'll play against the computer on my phone. I like, I have Ticket to Ride on my iPad yeah, and yeah, I yeah. play against computers and I'm happy to do that, but I'm not going to pull out a real board game to play by myself. Not to say that people yeah. shouldn't or it's not a good idea. That's just not why I play board games. Not something that doesn't appeal to me. Right. You bring up a good point because when you mentioned I would rather play against computer than play by myself no, I'm on still a board not playing game. by myself. <laughs> it's it's yeah, you're 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 still like sitting there by yourself, but it's kind of like you, the social aspect I think is what brings a lot yes. of people to these games, which is why sure. I think games that or at least people when they play games or games that inspire people to kind of chat and be social and not just have your head buried on the board silently contemplating things to each their own. Like everyone gets is looking for something else at all times and not all games are the same every time either, but I think one of the main reasons why board games are so popular all of a sudden is that the the notion that you're no longer sitting on a computer chair and by yourself in <laughs> in a room off to the side mm -hmm. while your girlfriend's watching TV. Uh, you're you're <laughs> sitting somewhere else with other people, chatting, laughing, doing stuff, maybe going, "Oh no, what have I done here?" And there's this this the instant player interaction yeah. of. Oh no, he like something like Sheriff of Nottingham, for example. It's like yeah. that'd be impossible to play on a computer. You could yeah, you sure. could iterate it. It could easily be a computer game, but it would not be would nearly not be fun. as fun. So And listeners, Jack just described are basically our weeknights versus our weekends. <laughs> <laughs> true. We, we, you know, anyway. Um I think Guy Project is very interesting and I hope we get to play it more. Uh, often we get good at it because it is a little treat. And I think if anyone is interested, if you've played Terra Mystica, and I don't know if I'd recommend saying, because I don't know Terra Mystica well enough, but from everything I've read and watched about it, it feels like a proper sequel to Terra Mystica. And it comes with, it's like they bundled all the expansions, because all the expansions, the two expansions are one. 
into a finished product and you have a modular board which allows you to play with a random randomized setup which is something that I always thought was weird about Terra Mystica is that the board was always the same so it led to a very sort of mathy pre-programmed sort of uh, thing but there was some randomness with the bonus tiles that was set that are that are issued and there are these things called boosters, which I think are kind of interesting, and I didn't understand them when we played Terra Mystica, but in Gaia Project, uh, what happens is that at the beginning of the game, you select um, basically, I think, one for each player that's playing, plus three, randomly from a bag, and these are considered your booster tiles. And at the start of the game, everyone takes one, and what they do is they provide a bonus at the start of your turn, and they provide a bonus at the end of your turn when you pass. So in the game, when you pass, you're done for your turn. You hand in your booster tile, and whatever it indicates on the bottom, you take a bonus based on when you hand her in. But as soon as you hand it in, you get to take another one, and you keep doing this till the end of the game. So it lets you sort of, just like their name, you boost yourself. And ideally, you're taking something that's like, okay, well, I need a bit more knowledge this turn to like move up on this technology track, so I'll take this one. Or I need some ore. <laughs> or I need some ore. <laughs> Uh, and you just do sort of these, these, this sort of thing, but it just provides a nice little, just like this, this lifting up of sort for your turn and gives you a bit of direction. Uh, I think there was only once or twice when I was like, eh, I don't know, I'll just take this one because the one I wanted was already gone. But anyway, Gaia Project, the only, I think, big hurdle aside from the, the heaviness of it is the price. It's not the least expensive game out there. I got mine on sale, but the... I think if you're walking to a store, it's about 105 bucks, 110 bucks. And but there's so much content there in there. There is too. a lot. Like given that there are so many tiles to make up the board, given that there's so many factions that you could use, yeah. there are there's a lot of replayability without feeling stale or like you're playing the same thing over and over. Exactly. Again. And I think you brought up Feast for Odin earlier too, and I think that's an apt comparison in the sense of that they're both extremely heavy mm -hmm. front, well, not extremely heavy games, but literally heavy is Feast for yes, Odin. Yes, literally heavy. But they're games that are, they're medium to heavy by most people's standards, I think. Yeah. And if you put them down on a table, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to frighten people, but there's a lot of gameplay to it. Mm -hmm. And I think with the, I'm re really looking forward to the Feast for Odin expansion that's coming out shortly that's going to provide variable player startups and i think it go boosts uh the player count to i think five people um it, it, it sounds to me like the the feast expansion that's coming out is going to be maybe turn it into like the definitive experience and which makes me <laughs> hurt more that i wish we could play feast road more but it's just such a pain to set up i think and when you've got cats that are more than happy to just destroy your little viking enclaves but anyway Gaia Project, I would give it, uh, right now, I would give it an 8 uh, purple swirling planets out of 10. Okay. What about you, Cam? Um, I would, yeah, I would probably rate it around an 8. I'm good with that. Cool. Um, so before we move into the talk about uh, Charterstone and stuff, I think I, I need to briefly talk about... Um, a game I just, uh, a friend of mine just told me about came out, and I had my eye on it for a little bit, so I downloaded it the other day. Uh, shout out to Daryl Jemin for the, the tips. Daryl, listen to our show? Sure. <laughs> no one listens to the show. It's That's fine. not true. Well, we, have, we actually have one dedicated listener, at least in England, but um, Daryl gave me a tip, and I had been looking at this because it came out on uh, the PS4 recently. And he was getting some buzz from a couple of names in the uh, the industry. And one of the guys, uh, I think his name is uh, Chad Sophia, 
Uh, he used to write at least for The Post. I'm not sure who he's writing for right now, uh, but he said Ashen is one of his favorite games of the year, of 2018. And uh, for those who aren't aware, and I knew nothing about this game, or maybe if I only had a brief exposure to it, Ashen is a yet another entry into the uh, much maligned Souls-like genre. And by Souls-like, I mean games that are inspired by or very similar to the Demon Dark Souls uh, franchise by FromSoft. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with those games, they're third-person action RPGs that involve usually a lot of patience and timing and rely heavily on exploration and strategy versus hack-and-slash stuff, which is like going to a place and just beat the crap out of someone that's there. So these games are a little more based on observing your surroundings, not just rushing in, uh, figuring out where enemies might be lurking, and carefully timing blocks and dodges and managing uh, your stamina and your health. And usually there's a sort of a, a sort of a melancholy, empty feel to the entire world that the sense of that you're a very tiny person running around this giant, dangerous place. And there have been a couple entries into these types of games for a while. Uh, most notably, the biggest, uh, I guess... Um, uh, what, what's the old saying? Uh, imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. You'd have these, I, f I think it was Bay 17, Bay 13, I forget. I think they're Polish or uh, Eastern European developers. Uh, they released Lords of the Fallen, which was very underwhelming. And then they released something more recently, um, which I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but it was basically similar to Lords of the Fallen, and, except you had... Uh, a guy who was like stitched together with robot parts and your whole thing was strategic dismemberment. So it was almost like Dark Souls meets um, uh, Dead Space where you want to chop your opponent's limbs off and if you do it properly, you get a piece of their equipment and you can add it to your own thing. But neither of these games really clicked for me. Um, the newest one was a little bit better, but it was still really clunky and it had similar mechanics and similar feel to it, but it just didn't didn't work and something was missing, even though it was they were doing their best. Um, then you had the 2D ones, uh, something like Salt and Sanctuary, which came out, which was an attempt to make a two-dimensional Dark Souls game, and I did not like it at all. I thought it was clunky and ugly and, and weird and just didn't play right. Uh, but you could see what they were trying to do. And the other 2D games usually mix between something like Metroid or uh, Castlevania, which is where you're getting the Metroidvania-type stuff. Um, but they usually the, linger towards the roguelike side of things because the games, I think, are more interesting when they're faster paced. But either way, people have been trying their hardest. Uh, fast forward to uh, just the other day, I think two days ago, Ashen is released for the PC at least. And it's uh, made by, or at least published by Anna Perna, Anna Pernerva uh, Interactive, which you'll see that they've made movies, and this is their sort of video game studio side of things. And if it's any indication of their quality, I think there's good things that come from this studio. So they, I, I think I'm a couple hours in this game so far, and I, and I think it's safe to say this is the closest we've come to someone successfully aping the uh, Souls-style games without being totally derivative, and, but still maintaining the feel of the games, even though there are a couple things that are kind of bugging me a little bit about it so far. But in general... There, this Ashen is quite good, and it follows a similar sort of idea of this. There's this uh, broad, sort of ambiguous world that you've been thrust into, and you're running around trying to, you're getting instructions, and you have a central hub 
village area that people are sending you out to do things for and you're coming back and they're different members you're sort of adding to the village and they all do different things and they all have their own little quests and the world is gigantic and lots of places to explore lots of danger and uh, there's this interesting style to the game which is it's not low polygon because I think the polygon count is actually quite high but it's got this very sort of abstracted feel to it so if you look at something like uh, Dark Souls, there's a fair amount of detail to all the models that there's there's like cavity and scars and eyeballs and stuff and all the monsters. And the detail level is very, very high. With Ashen, they went in a separate direction and they've got kind of like the closest I can think of is almost a Team Fortress 2. It's not cartoony, but it's a very distinct style, very blocky, um, sharp looking um uh, objects with neat texture work on them, but very plain, very simple. Uh, but the colors are very generally pretty. They're muted, but still on the the brighter side of the spectrum. But it gives it a much more artistic look to it, rather than the more um, borderline realistic appeal or look of the Dark Souls games. Anyway, it does everything that you could expect from them. It's got the rechargeable health drink things that you get. It's got the upgradable weapons. It's got um, a bunch of weird objects you can find, things that warp you back home, uh, consumable health potions, etc. Uh, what it doesn't do, though, is that the it still maintains a whole sort of kill enemies, get souls. If you die, you have to go back and get your souls, otherwise you lose them. But what it doesn't do is that there's no hard RPG element in the sense of you don't take those, so far at least, and pump up stats. There's no stats in the game aside from the damage your weapons are doing and the damage mitigation and a couple other effects of stamina and stuff from your equipment. And so you end up in this position with this game, which is kind of weird, is that you have all these, um, the souls or the money, or this, I think they call them scorcia in this game, you can, you've, you've accumulated, but the options of spend it are kind of limited so far. You can, there are some obvious places you can bump up the amount of drinks from your flask, you can... Uh, upgrade your equipment, but the equipment upgrades cap out after about 5,000. You need extra items to do it. So you end up in this position where you've got all these souls, but you don't know what to do with them, and you don't want to lose them, and I haven't figured out a way to stash them in a way that kind of like protects them yet. And it took me a while to find actually a chest to hide equipment in too. So that was kind of weird as well to have be walking around with all the stuff and you don't know what to do with it. This could be a side effect of the fact that the game throws side quests at you quite early and lets you wander off the beaten path uh, but that's at the expense of the fact that the game, if you stay on the beaten path for the main quest, it unlocks stuff for you to do in the village that would mitigate this. So it's it just kind of irritating compared to, let's say, something like uh, Dark Souls, where right away, or Demon Souls, right away when you show up, all the stuff you can do is more or less right there. Uh, even though you could argue that you don't immediately get a, an opportunity to spend your souls in uh, a couple of those games there's at least areas to sort of stash stuff and you know kind of the main gameplay loop right away and whereas this one it takes a fair amount of time a couple hours into the game before you actually have the i'd say the main mechanics establish themselves which can be kind of irritating from my perspective of trying to play this game and know everything you can do but you're but you don't know what's going to show up so where's the stash where's the um, where is the place to upgrade weapons? Where can I buy things from people? So it, that's kind of irritating, but we'll see what's going to happen. And I'm waiting for the bonfire warping stuff to occur. But this is very inside baseball. Kayla's eyes have glazed over, and she's just being polite. And that's uh, not true. Being polite. You're being polite. I think that's true. 
anyway, if you give it uh, give it a shot, the uh, I forgot to mention too. I think this is a game that you always has you always have an AI partner running around with you. The AI partner is competent, um, it's generally pretty good. This is a game that I think if you've got a friend who's picked it up, uh, or you need to find a friend, uh, you should try playing Jack it two player. Jack is looking for friends. I'm looking for friends. Play it two player. You'll you'll need two copies of the game, but it really really uh, turns it into something else here. I think. Because I think if you have two people who know what they're doing, you can just break this game. Because just based on the AI doing stuff, it's pretty strong. So give it a give it a check. I think this is going to become a classic. Uh, hopefully, uh, based on what I'm playing, this isn't all I'm getting, and the story keeps revealing itself. But as soon as I'm able to move around faster, I think I'll, I'll be enjoying this a lot more. But so far, really cool little game, and I don't think the price tag on it's too high at the moment. I have to double check. Um, but Ashen. Get it on all the major consoles. On that note, musical break. We'll be back in a second. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Dissolve. Whoops. No, it was Scarlet Red Horizon by Ionazir. Uh, Russian, I don't know if it's a band or an artist. I'm going to say it's just an artist um, from the album Dissolve Disperse. Um, really something else, some dark ambient, but also it's got a faster sort of edge to the electronica side of it. Uh, very spooky stuff. Uh, check out their Bandcamp. Their album is buy at whatever price you want. So I don't know what a beer costs in uh, the Russian Federation, but throw them a throw them a couple shekels and they can buy themselves a pint or 
uh, a Mickey, a vodka. I don't know what the, what the popular beverage is there. But Vodka's probably cheaper. I think, yeah, it's probably pretty cheap. Anyway, really good album. I'm loving it. They also got another one that I'm quite fond of, too. Um, oh, it's not even... I hate when they do this on the side here. It's not nowhere, but anyway, all their stuff's outstanding. His stuff, who knows, but good stuff. Before we left for the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about uh, we talked about Ashen, we talked about Guy Project, but at the beginning we talked about Charterstone as well. We mentioned it. And uh, spoil, spoiler alert, we're not going to get into spoilers, but... No spoilers. We finished our campaign of Charterstone. Sure did. We played it 12 times. Yes. Some of them we played right back to back. Like the last one we did two in a row. We've done three in a row before. Other times we did just one in a, one at a Once time. Once you have it set up, you just got to keep going. Yeah, it, it's like... It's, they go fast, like, especially with two players. With two players, it's lightning fast. I think yeah. maybe half an hour around at times, yeah. so depending on what. But, um, Kayla, talk a little bit about Charterstone. All right. Charterstone is, first off, it's adorable. The The graphics are so cute. It's a Stonemeyer game. Yeah. And it's adorable uh it is a legacy village building game and um if you're familiar with legacy games it means that what you do in the game will impact it forever and at the end of it uh in charterstone at least you have a game that you can just play uh you can just play it based on how you've set up your village and you can play it as many times as you want i'm not sure how often we'll do that but um yeah so essentially Every time you play the game, something changes. You permanently change the board or the rules. This game involves a lot of stickers and a lot of cards and things that you put on the board and put in the rule book. Someone described it as they felt like they were a librarian when they were playing it because you're flipping through an index yes. uh, it's a box for a good chunk yeah. of it. The components are fantastic. The The index box, which has all the cards in it, is actually really lovely. It's got a little magnetic closure it on it. It's beautiful. really yeah. nice. The pieces are really nice like again the artwork is fantastic it's whoever i don't know who actually did the artwork but it's it's adorable it fits it's really perfectly thematic and essentially what you're doing is trying to build up the new eternal city uh for the forever king who is essentially every game he is either happy or angry with you and that will impact your next round of the game and every round after that and we don't want to get into too many spoilers, really no spoilers. We haven't really talked about the game and we haven't posted a lot about it on our Instagram. We only posted one photo um, because <clears> it, <throat> it is supposed to be secret as you go through. You don't open things until you're told. You don't flip through. You try to avoid looking when you're flipping through the index. You try to avoid looking at the cards that you're flipping past mm -hmm. because the whole point is that you open things and do things in the order that the game suggests. Um, and... Did we mention it's a worker placement too? Yeah, I don't think we did. Because that's the main yeah. mechanic of the game is that you have two workers. You have a big one and a little one, but they're virtually indistinguishable aside from their uh, physical characteristics. And what you do is you have all these, these hexagons all over the board and each player's area is their quote-unquote charter. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the game, you kind of, I don't know if it's random or you just grab whatever one's closest to you. I think you just choose what you want. And uh, each of them has a different sort of theme. So there are, I think there's room for six people? Yeah, one to six. One to six. And each one has a different sort of theme. So one's based around wooden stuff. My area was based around baking, like with grain. Someone else is based around excavating ore. Someone else is about metal. 
uh, or like coal. Someone else about metal. Someone's about brick. And someone's about, I don't know what purple. Mine was pumpkin. Pumpkin, that's pumpkins. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's What did the Europeans have with pumpkins? I don't know. It's... Pumpkins are just really cute shaped <laughs> things, I think. Um, the components are great. It also comes with metal coins, which are just fun to play yeah. with. I really like those. It was a weird, unnecessary flair in that it's but like, it it's great. lovely and it's great. Metal yeah. coins. I think they can be unnecessary at times, but in a game like this, it's like... It just feels good. You like flipping them in your hands. Um, So yeah, it is worker placement. You're trying to build up your village and trying to get points because at the end of the day, it is competitive. You, um, each game, someone wins and someone gets a victory out of it. And at the end of your campaign, there's everything gets added up. Like our points were atrociously high hilarious atrociously high which is maybe normal maybe we're actually on low scoring i'm I've, not sure we must have been on the low side too which is i think crazy. so which is actually crazy because uh anyways i won't say what yeah, i was yeah. gonna say but um our for us it felt like our points were super high there are all these things that come together at the end of the game to see who wins um jack sorry <clears throat> King Jack. Thank you. One. Thank you. Uh, but it was pretty close. It was like, oddly close. Was... I thought I was destroying Kayla, and then and he wasn't. And then we get Cause... down to the end, and so for most of the game, Jack was getting the most victories. So I knew that he was going to have points from the victories at the end of the game. So I was focusing in the last few rounds on building up my village and getting as many points as I could with the buildings going into my village. Mm-hmm. So that's what kept it competitive. I focused on that, and Jack focused on points. I guess he a lot of points yeah uh so so yeah it was super close at the end and i thought it was i thought it was a good game i didn't think it was amazing i thought it was i mean i got caught up in the cuteness of it and Mm -hmm. like the i love worker placement i love village building Mm -hmm. um so i really like those things and there was some like really cute things in it um but at the end of the game it was pretty obvious that the way that we had gone through the game, at the very end, they were just like speeding us up. They were like threw a ton of stuff at us that yeah. we had clearly missed along the way because we had taken the route that we'd taken. And it felt a little bit rushed at the end. And it was kind of like, oh, well, we this would have been cool yeah. through this whole thing. And now we have one game to have this thing. Exactly. Which, I mean, again, being super vague because I think people should play it. I think yeah. it's a good game. I think it's a fun thing to do with your friends. It, it And I love legacy games. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But it definitely felt a bit rushed at the end. And maybe not that's just our experience because of the way we went. I bet other people had a different experience and maybe they didn't feel rushed because they got to go a different route. But just based on how our game came out, that's Yeah, you, you hit happened. on something else that I didn't even think of. But the it felt like the first couple of games of it, at least uh, that I remember, not much changes. It really doesn't add too much stuff. Or at least it's very careful about it. And then it felt like by the end there, there was like, okay, now do all this stuff. It's like, whoa, hold on a sec. We, we've had this, we'll have this for one round, maybe two. Yeah. And it just felt unnecessary. Like, I feel like it would have been fine. Like, I get probably what they're doing. Like, oh, you miss all these things. So now you should have all this and do this thing. But it could have also just not. Yeah. You could have just missed out on that entirely. And maybe some people would feel cheated because um, it means that you would have left a huge chunk of cards in the index. Mm-hmm. I think it would have made more sense. It would have resulted in one of these experiences that I, I think are quite... You get this out of certain games, computer games and things too, where that account for a lot of player choice, which we've talked about on the show before, but it leads to situations where 
you could have somebody playing something and then saying, oh, this happened in my game. That was crazy. And, and you turn and say, what? That happened in your game? I didn't this even This happened see that in my thing. game. Yeah. I, I didn't even hear of these. Like, And then you go, oh, that's kind of cool that there's things I need. But you have to find a line between making things feel like, oh, that we, we scratched the surface or we missed a whole bunch of stuff based on our paths versus mm-hmm. we did this one path and I didn't get anything. I felt ripped off by the fact that I didn't get to experience these things that sounded yeah. cooler. And I don't know what we could have done differently, maybe just based on like some of the well, I think we made happy, some, sad choices. Yeah, but... we made some like sad choices when we didn't necessarily have to, yeah. but it was sounded more fun. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So um, on the flip side of this, Joel and his wife are also playing. They're mm-hmm. pretty deep. I think they're maybe nine games in yeah. or something close to that. They're almost done. Yeah. They're almost done. I don't think they realize how soon the game's going to be done. So I told Joel that we're done and they're going to finish. And then maybe Sam and Joel could come on and talk about their experience. And right. I'm sure we'll compare and contrast and see what was different. Yeah. Um, Stone is pretty cool in that it has an op- option to recharge the game. So, like I said, once the game's done, you can play it as is. It'll just be a standard worker placement, but it'll kind of be unique for your circumstance and all the names and all your village names and charter names are all unique for you. But you can buy a charter pack to, sorry, recharge a pack, recharge yeah. pack to do the game again. So maybe we'll do that. I don't think we'll do it right away. We have a couple other legacy games on the way, but it is an option. And I think it's kind of neat that they do that. And it well, would cool be cool to play with it. more yeah. people. Like we played it two player and I love that. I thought it was a fun thing for us to do together. Yeah. But I think it would be also interesting with more. It's just harder to get a legacy. When a legacy game. You want to try to play with the same people every time. You do. And it can be hard to get the same people involved all the time, which yeah. we can maybe talk about with one of our next legacy games. Yeah. So before we move on to, it's just the last thing I want to say about Charterstone is that I think I mentioned some of this to Joel and that I think the, for me, the main issue with the game is that I felt like the theme the I like the main story, but the story develops so slowly. And but by the end, it's like just like everything else. It's like oh, uh, here are a bunch of cards. Here's the story. Here's things happening. It starts off so slowly. I feel like the main issue is that it's it's got two ideas kind of fighting each other, and that you're competing with each other to make the best charter stone. But at the same time, you're supposed to be working together to build this village. And I think that's where the game fails, is that it, it's meant to be... I think it would have worked much better if it was a, a competitive cooperative mm-hmm. and that you're all competing to build and unlock things as much as possible as opposed to... Because I can't think of how many times I looked at things and they said, this is maybe a result of us playing two-player, but looked at the opportunity to unlock more buildings and more cool objects. And I thought, why would I do that? This is not going to benefit me at all. And I'm never going to use these buildings. It's going to be a waste of a turn, waste of resources that I could be doing other things. Versus, if the game actually pushed you in the direction of, you should always—it's always a good thing to uh, open these crates or discover new objects. And I thought that's what really got me is that if we were all working together, but seeing who could work together the best, <laughs> that would have been better. Versus, because for me, I found most times I played there was this degenerate strategy of just d- make money, spend money points make money spend money points right. and it, it's it felt disconnected from any activity Where in the game i was constantly trying to build things yeah. and open things and yeah. get new cards and that's it so you i think you may have had more fun playing the game than i did and uh i wish the game didn't because if i did that stuff i found i, I was punished for yeah it. that's like, fair well let's think about you had way more victories individual yeah. victories i had two victories yeah. and jack had 10 uh so so I was I was winning more, but it's like, what was the point of these? Were you really winning? Was in I your really heart? winning? I don't know. <laughs> True. 
But anyway, it's a cute game, very neat. There were a couple times when you're playing it that I was like, oh, that's neat. That's really cool. Or yeah. But I just they wish... They do some really cool things. Yeah. Like, there is... If you want to see a spoiler, there is one or one and only picture of Charterstone, I think, that of the game we played. Um, has a funny little thing in it. Yeah. So you can check that out if you want a spoiler. Yeah. But it's a, it was cool, and I, I did like it. And I think maybe we would play it differently next time and not worry so much about the victories. Yeah. I, I think the competitive aspect wasn't necessary. No. And also the timer is so brutal, too. It's like it's the game super ends super... And if somebody's playing it in a certain way, you guys... The game could last 15 yeah. minutes, which seems quick for a legacy game. Yeah, it does. And especially because you actually get 12 games out of it, which yeah. is not really that many compared to something like Pandemic Legacy, yeah. where... You could get 12, but you're more likely going to get somewhere between 24, 24. <laughs> <laughs> or Gloomhaven, which yeah, we're going to, which... we're going to talk about these yeah. guys. Gloomhaven, <laughs> I, I'm the amount of content contained in the box, yeah. the $120 box of Gloomhaven is the 20 enough. Pound, was it 20 pounds? 20 uh, I forget how heavy it, it was. was heavy. It was heavy. The amount of content contained in that is a year's worth of game. Easy. If yeah. you if you're doing it once a once a week, that's a year's worth. Maybe if you sped through it, you could be doing it half year. Depends on your difficulty level. Depends whatever you're doing. I, and that's also something that kind of gets me is Charterstone. How much is it? About fifty bucks, Kayla? Yeah, we actually got found it at a little We've, game store in yeah. Cambridge, and surprisingly, it was cheaper than anywhere else. And it was like only like maybe forty five. Yeah, yeah. So we'll give a quick shout out to I forget the name. I think it's Bob's Toys and Games or something or Toys and Games in Cambridge Mall. Uh, oddly, they're five dollars under MSRP on everything, which is really interesting. I hope I'm not blowing them out of the water. If anyone's listening to the show and reports them for uh, doing something wrong, but it's a great little store, and they actually had a bunch of cool stuff in there. But uh, we picked up like slightly less for slightly less money. But I think the content does not justify the price tag. I think if it was forty bucks, that's getting into like okay, there's nothing wrong with that. If anything below 40, it would be difficult to feel ripped off. Mm -hmm. But for 50 bucks, only getting 12 plays of an, a mediocre game, as far as I'm concerned, is a little, <sighs> little, no. little pushy. On. I th honestly, I think the price is fine. Okay. I think the components are worth it. I think. It, Some components. I think it's worth it. And you know what? Yeah, we only got 12 like legacy replays out of it. We still got the board. We but still we got still got the board. Else. You can play it flip as it is. Flip the I, other side. I do the recharge. We could back. do the recharge. Um, <clears throat> I think we should try it as its own game and see what it is. All right, we, we'll do it uh, its okay. own game and we'll like, report we're back. back. All right, it's probably enough of Charterstone for now. So Charterstone, most recent legacy game we're finished. Um, I mentioned the Gloomhaven. only Charterstone game we finished. Or, uh, sorry, legacy the game. legacy game yeah, 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 we finished. Yeah. So I'm not going to jump on Gloomhaven too much here, but you've talked about it enough on the show, I think. I think we've talked about it enough, but it's it's outstanding. It's a legacy game, but it's I would say it's a legacy game in the sense that they've successfully recreated an RPG video game, a computer game to a board game, and it plays incredibly well. It is uh, Joel put it on his list of his top 2018 games. He is not wrong. It is still outstanding. The expansion's coming out. It's it's great. Really tremendous stuff. It's legacy insofar as that you are making choices that are going to affect the rest of the game. Um, but I think it, it, it's maybe its type of gameplay makes it feel a little not at, or slightly less impactful as playing a more standard type of board game that happens to have legacy elements to it, which is what will bring us to our next game that we're currently in the middle of, which is Pandemic Legacy Season 1. We've Season been slowly one. grinding. It's been, how long have we had it? Two years? Yeah, and to be fair, we started it 
as a group of four. Yeah. Um, played it pretty regularly, and then things just didn't. It's t- it was tough to get the group together. It was and tough so to get the group together. You get busy. Yep. So then we. Obviously, Jack and I are still part of that group, um, and we <clears throat> subbed in two other people, yeah. which has been great. Um, we've actually played it more frequently, but we haven't got to it a lot. There are just so many good games. It's hard to get it out, but it is nice to save the world. It's nice to work together, and I do like that it's a cooperative game, and no one really feels like they're trying to be a hero on their own. Yeah, it's there's no it's there's the competitive part is gone. Pure yeah. cooperative. No one's getting more no. points for being the better. Uh, that's what I really like about it and I'm fine with competitive games but I really like cooperative and I like that it's a cooperative legacy because we're all working towards the same goals and it is getting harder but But it's a good game it's outstanding and there's a reason why it's like it was at the top I think it's still up there on Board Game Geek um, I think it is too best games out there because it takes Pandemic which is basically a staple of gaming right now you'll be hearing about Pandemic for 50 next 50 years i think well because... it's been around like there's some old pandemic games yeah it's there. it's still it's not ancient it's not like no, from the 80s ancient. or something but it's no. it's it's not an ancient old... like you <laughs> hilarious anyway it's a good game the reason there's a reason why it's popular yep. still and also the i think the 20th 20, no 10th anniversary pandemic is coming out which comes in like a it looks like a i think it's a metal uh medical bag or medical uh, case kind of like a first aid kit that's coming out and it's uh that's cute special edition for, need that. for the pandemic uh, aficionados in there it's it's cute i don't know if i like pandemic that much but we could sell another copy <laughs> whatever we can talk about that later yeah yeah so anyway uh in comes um oh shoot i'm forgetting the guy's name uh, the, so you have the original designer, Tom Lehman, but then he partners up with uh, this fellow for Pandemic Legacy mm. to make the game. Isn't it Matt Leacock? No? Matt Leacock. Oh, you're right. Matt Leacock's the original, and then there's um, he partnered up with another fellow whose name is escaping me at the moment. Rob, uh, Rob DeVoe, I think. And they take Pandemic, which is already a functional game, and they decide, what, what would happen if we? it was like stories? So it's like each time you go through, something happens. And the effects of players winning and losing permanently affect the game states or the game board. And that's where you end up with this situation with Pandemic Legacy, whereas you go through uh, and the story in a really good way reveals itself to you. And it entered like there have been a ca- so many times we've been playing Pandemic Legacy where you just go, oh, my goodness, this is oh, my God, what's happening? Ah, ah. And you're opening. <laughs> scary. It's scary. And you're opening up new. Mm-hmm. They, there's so many different things to open up. You're changing the rules. You're adding characters. Um, it, it, and the world is changing. And you see the plot develop before your eyes. And it's such an organic and neat way compared to Charterstone where it was, I'd say, two-thirds of Charterstone, nothing really happens. You start to get a vibe that something's weird. But then by the end, it's like, okay, the, like, the brakes are off, and now it's full steam ahead. But by that point, it's too late. Versus like Pandemic Legacy, there's this great gradual accelerator. There's this great amping up every campaign. And what how it works is you have 12 months worth of uh, game. So we were, we were making fun of a Charterstone for only having 12 games in it. But I think we've only beaten maybe one or two months on the first try. Yeah. After that, it's always been, and this you could argue this is either our fault or the game's, uh, we always fail the first day, her first try, yeah. and then succeed the second try. Because you suddenly get some funding. Well, because, yeah, if you've ever played original Pandemic, mm-hmm. you get these bonus cards that get in there. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you win, you don't have any of those. If you lose, you get them shuffled in. And they're super essential because the game is very, very tight. 
It's very difficult, especially the deeper that you get into the it. The deeper you get into it. So essentially, you're getting between probably getting 20 to 24 games out yeah, of this legacy fair. game, unless you're amazing. Yeah. And generally, we play one month at a time. Like we don't, if we fail, we play again immediately because we have some momentum. Yeah. We have some ideas about how we you can do better. You need to do it. You can't do it. We do some planning at the beginning of the game, make sure that we all have a strategy. We yeah. sort out seating order so that our characters interact properly. We kind of like... You need to plan. We, we work hard to, yeah. to, to do this where... You don't have to do that in a lot of other games. So we definitely plan out exactly how we're going to do this. We keep track of how we sat and how we're going to sit and what yeah. makes sense and who interacts well with others. And um, and it's cool because if you know Pandemic, you know the kind of basic characters that you have the option to play. And they're slightly play. different too. They're slightly different and there are new ones. True. Which, which reveal uh, themselves as the game, you go through the game. As you need them. Which is great. Yeah. And... <laughs> I can't I can't talk about how good Pandemic Legacy mm-hmm. is enough. It's just it is the it is the 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 gold standard for legacy yeah, games. For sure. And I think everyone is more or less copying or aping um Pandemic Legacy to an extent, which is why when I think when Rob DeVoe went on his own and did Seafall, it was such a disaster. And that's not to say it's ne- Seafall is necessarily a bad game. I never played it myself. But let's just say if you walk in a Meeple Mart, there may be a stack about, I don't know, 40 high mm-hmm. of Seafall because yeah. it just wasn't that good of a game. And the problem was that the base of it was rotten. There was nothing. The, the foundation that it was built on was just what didn't work versus Pandemic, which already had this established good ground yeah. floor and you could really play around with it. Fast forward to today or at least a little while ago around uh, Black Friday or the um, Betrayal Legacy was released, and you're thinking, oh, okay, I hate Betrayal in House on the Hill. I'll say it. It's not a good game. Same. Uh, you, It's one of those games that you feel like if I sat down and spent some time with it, I could fix this game. But you think, okay, well, if there was ever something that maybe would benefit from this cross-partnership, it's like, because I was just making fun of Seafall uh, for stinking because it didn't have a good base and why Pandemic Legacy worked because it had a good base. Well, what happens when you have something like Betrayal, which I don't like the game, uh, but it could maybe lend itself to the legacy? Could they fix each other? Could they? Could the legacy boost it? And from by all accounts, I've heard nothing overwhelming about Betrayal Legacy, which is kind of sad because I wish, I wish that was a game that could have worked with Legacy. I haven't played it yet. I'd love to try it, but from the sound of it, it just sounds middling and like it doesn't work. And all the problems with Betrayal are still there. Which is kind of frustrating because I think the main thing is that the people who love Betrayal like Betrayal for weird reasons. Um, and not begrudging them. If you're having fun with it, great. But if if I'm walking into this, I don't want to be playing a legacy game that I don't like. And the gameplay doesn't work mm-hmm. as much, which was one of my issues with Charterstone. But Charterstone got away with it because it, it was very cute and the games were really quick. And at the end of the day, I, I still still had fun with it. So it's possible Betrayal Legacy works. I haven't played it yet, like I said. But it sounds like it's it's yet another foray into this Legacy games, uh, Legacy world, but it's just not clicking, at least uh, so far. Mm-hmm. So uh, is Rob DeVoe just like part of every Legacy game? He, I think he's maybe the... He's on Betrayal, Pandemic, Risk Legacy. Okay, and that's the last one we'll talk about here. Yeah. Risk Legacy. Wait, did you mention that you recently also bought Pandemic Season 2? Which in, is another legacy game. Well, it's, it's sorry, a the sequel. continuation yeah. of Pandemic Season One. We yeah. haven't even finished Season One yet, but it was on sale. We're, so we're like, ready for Season Two. We're, we're amping up toward it. Okay, so, so, so that we, when we're done one, we can just move right, right on. on into it. But Use so, momentum. 
the first one to maybe start this whole phenomenon, uh, and I could be wrong, maybe some old mm-hmm. grognard out there is yelling at me that someone else did this, but... Well, you won't know. I, no, I won't. Maybe we'll Unless they email. message us on Twitter or Instagram or go to the Guelph Board Gaming Group or send us an email at uh, droiddungeonradio at uh, gmail.com or I forget the CFRU address. I'd have to write that one down. Anyway. Um, just look us up. Just look us up. <laughs> you can find us. The, 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 the OG legacy game was and is Risk Legacy. Risk Legacy. So, so once again, you have a game, base game. Risk. Love it or hate it. Everyone played it. Right. But it's like a classic game. It's a like, classic even game. Even if you don't love it, which... It, Risk eh, has been defeated sure. so handily. But, yeah. So you take this, and now it's kind of like a mix between the this SF Risk of like a Risk, uh, was it like 2349 or whatever it is, and regular Risk, but you have legacy elements to it. And what happens is, just like Pandemic Legacy, is you go through and you have all your characters and it plays exactly the same, but... As you go through the game, you're opening envelopes, and the player who wins gets a name stuff, and players that, and you're putting things on the board. So now all of a sudden, there are territories that are reinforced. Now there are territories that are worth more. Now you're modifying the cards that reflect the various territories and making them worth more points, making them able to cash in for more things. You're getting, uh, I think there's supposed to be nuclear missiles, but you're getting things sure. that allow you to re-roll your dice. Which and seems- there's a box that you're told you can never there ever it open. Is. Yeah. And I really want to open it. So you open this game up and there's something at the very bottom that says under no conditions are you to ever open this box. But apparently if you open it, it impacts your game. Yeah, and what's cool is that it's not just one. Maybe it's the missiles. It's not just one. There's, I think there's six or seven or maybe a a dozen different things that can happen if you open this box. And everyone wants to open it. And I think our our friend Evan opened his box. (laughs) But Caleb wants... I'm going to catch her in the middle of the night (laughs) rifling through the uh, Risk Legacy box, opening this up. You know it. But do you like Risk Legacy? I do. Um, It's been a while since we played, probably because it's not as good as Pandemic Legacy. I don't think it's fun. That's my issue. Yeah. But I don't mind it. I think we should finish it. Oh, we or definitely need to if we're not going to finish it, we should just open the box. Oh, okay. Well, no. We'll, we'll finish it. But the issue right. is that, like, so once again, going back to, let's say, Betrayal and Seafall and these other things, Risk is not a good game right. on the surface. Fair. So you apply Legacy to it. You've made a, a, a not good game more interesting. But yes. fundamentally, the gameplay is still, still the same where great. it's like you move units into space, roll dice. Do you have higher dice? Yes, no. And you go from there. And I think my main issue is that like, Risk is the, the OG fight starter, I think, in game world. Because it's so it feels so vindictive and mean because the game is based around you just these, sending these balls of armies into other people's spots. And especially in this one, at least the Risk Legacy makes adds headquarters and adds more reasons to yeah. strategically take stuff versus these long, drawn-out like slug matches where you're just like relentlessly sending troops against... And I, I know I've seen at least one or two games where people were getting... It looked like tempers were starting to yeah. flare up a little bit, but that's... Compare that to something like Comet, for example, where it's like everyone's trying to kill each other, so yeah. it's nobody's got... For sure. There's nothing personal about this whatsoever. Cyclades maybe can feel a little personal at times where it's like, what? Come on, really? You coming after yeah. me? All ganging up on Jack as per usual. Wow, sometimes. But sometimes. overall, I'd like to say that I like legacy games. Yes. I think they're super fun. I think it's this really cool thing because you get to feel like you're building the game mm-hmm. and you're making the decisions and it's it, it's all based on what you're doing. So I think it's great. More legacy games. I want better. more legacy games. I want. I think you have to be crazy not to make. Uwe Rosenberg. 
He was supposedly making a legacy really? game. Really? Because I would love like a legacy like uh, Caverna. Or yeah, or something. that'd be great. Apparently maybe, the expansion maybe for Caverna is we good. could get him and Rob DeVoe together. Maybe we'll just let Uwe do it. <laughs> we can help. We can help. We'll, we'll we can help. pitch in. Okay. Legacy games are great. Let's just have start, more. We'll get some more. Just don't don't make them bad, please. Don't make terrible things. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm not sure if there'll be a fresh show for the Christmas break. If there is, I'll talk to you then. If not, Merry Christmas, folks. Thank you. Bye.